listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Superior 1600, Cinestell 800 and Kodak Gold 200. These were the three main film stocks that I shot on two point-and-shoot cameras during our recent 12-night holiday to Indonesia. In this episode, I will tell you some more holiday stories, talk about the images I shot on 135 format film, and reflect on what I do differently next time we go overseas. I'm Matt Murray, and this is Matt Loves Cameras. Film cameras, instant cameras, and everything analog photography related. How are you doing? It's been a beautiful sunny Sunday here for Mother's Day here today in Australia. So happy Mother's Day to my mum, my wife Sarah and all the mums out there. Uh, It was of course my mum and my grandmother who sort of got me interested in photography kind of. Uh, They were the photographers in our family. They always had the cameras and sort of were the guardians of the photo albums. Um, They probably weren't the best photographers in the world. I think it's fair to say, not being mean, but I think that's probably true. But certainly flipping through uh, photo albums over the years, uh, both at my mum's, our old house, and also my grandma's house, uh, really got me interested in images and photography. So thank you to them for that. Just a quick recap. My name's Matt Murray. I'm a photographer and camera enthusiast from sunny Brisbane in Australia. This podcast is all about analogue photography. In many episodes of this podcast, I will review a different film or instant camera, telling you about its history, its features, what it's like to use, and what kind of photos you can expect from it. In other episodes of the podcast, such as today's, uh, I'll talk about my experiences shooting film uh, and other sort of related topics. So today's show is all about my experiences shooting three different film types, three different film stocks on 35mm point and shoots on holidays in Indonesia. You can see the show notes and the images that I'm talking about today on the website mattlovescameras.com and you can also see some of the images on my Instagram which is at mattlovescameras. So once again, I'm reliving our 12-night holiday to Indonesia on this show. Uh, I think it'll actually be quite a short show, famous last words. Uh, But I've already spoken to you guys a lot about um, where we went and what we did uh, two episodes ago, episode nine, when I was talking about the Polaroids and stuff like that. Uh, So today we're just talking about the images that I took on two different point-and-shoot cameras. So the two cameras that I I used were the uh, Fujifilm Class S and I used uh, Cinestill 800T film with that and also Fujifilm Superior 1600 and on my little uh, Olympus LT1 I used Kodak Gold 200. 
So we're now back in beautiful Ubud. Uh, I spoke about in episode nine how I did find it uh, a bit tricky initially in the first few days while we're on holiday to get out there and shoot photos. Uh, I took quite a few digital ones and I, I took a few film ones here and there. But I decided, look, when you're on uh, holidays with the family, you really need to make opportunities for yourself. So that pretty much means you get up out of bed when everyone else is asleep and you get out there and you see the sunrise and you take some photos before breakfast. So uh, the first three photos, I think, yeah, first three photos I'll talk to you about today. They will look familiar if you've listened to episode nine and you've looked at the show notes for episode nine. So there are three images from a beautiful walk that I did just outside Ubud. So uh, Ubud is a town in Indonesia, in Bali. It's a very, very beautiful town. There's a lot of hotels there, a lot of beautiful hotels, a lot of activities take place around Ubud. The main sort of heart of Ubud though, all around Ubud really, is choked with traffic though. It, it wasn't too bad when we were there in April, uh, but certainly they tell me that in July and August, and certainly when we were there in December, a different year, uh, there is so so much traffic, so many scooters, so many cars, buses, everything. But then if you get off the, the beaten track a little bit, you can find these beautiful little oases of calm and tranquil. Just, you know, 10, 15 minutes walk and you're on a beautiful ridge walk. You're in the beautiful valley with a little river. You're, you know, surrounded by rice paddies. Uh, you, you'll see a beautiful temple. So it's kind of got that weird dynamic of, of being so busy and so congested and yet so beautiful and tranquil once you you get off the roads. Um, so one morning, uh, it was actually the third place that we stayed at. Um, we actually stayed at three different places in Ubud. So the third place uh, was a beautiful hotel. We stayed at a lovely villa. And I got up one morning and I walked to a place called Kampuhan Ridge. So I shot a couple of Polaroids here, which featured in episode nine. And I also shot some digital and some 35mm film here. So the first one I want to talk to you about is one that I took with my Fujifilm Class S and Cinesteel 800T film. Now you might be saying, hang on, you got up at sunrise and you're shooting 800 speed film. Yes, that is correct. Um, What happened was... I was trying to make some opportunities to shoot some film. So the night before this walk, I actually loaded up uh, my Class S uh, with the Cinesteel film and I walked around for about, I don't know, 45 minutes looking at opportunities to take some nighttime shots around Ubud. But, you know, sometimes you just can't get inspiration or you can't get the right shot. Or And so I sort of walked around and I went back to the villa and I thought, well, I, I didn't really get any shots there. I was a bit disappointed myself. I couldn't make any magic happen, you know what I mean? Um, but uh, the next morning I went out on this beautiful walk and I shot some images here. So, yeah, the first one we've got here is the Campuhan Ridge Walk. It's, a, it's in portrait orientation. It's got some really beautiful greens and blues in this one, uh, and you can certainly tell it's uh, a cooler-looking film compared to the Kodak Gold, which is coming up in a couple of pictures' time. Uh, but I actually had to wait quite a while, really, for this uh, shot. There was a lot of people walking up and down, uh, but I quite like this shot. I can't remember what I shot it on. I, it might I might have even shot it in program mode, you know, so I think it might have been F8, something like that, uh, but that was that's quite a nice shot there. The next shot 
it's funny. The next shot is taken from the same direction. It's a landscape shot. Uh, the light sort of changed a little bit. Um, it does have more sort of yellow tones in, I'd say, than the top shot. And there was a couple of young lads, local local boys, uh, and they were walking along, and um, I got them in the shot. There was one was pointing, one's pointing over to the left hand side of the frame, so I think that's quite a nice shot there as well. But does the tones do look a bit different to the first shot? And the third shot, this is uh, Kodak Gold 200 film on my Olympus LT1. And the tones for this are completely different. They are quite much more yellow, being Kodak Gold film, uh, and it looks beautiful, bright and sunny. Uh, I don't think uh, maybe you can just see one or two people in this shot. I think this was actually towards the end of when I was out. So I think it was getting towards quarter past eight in the morning, maybe. And around this time was when our breakfast was going to be served on our patio. So I knew I had to take a couple of shots and get home before my wife texts me. Um, and actually, my wife did text me on the way back and said, where are you? Breakfast's here. Uh, timekeeping is not a virtue I possess, sadly. And so the last photo I've got here to talk about from Bali all the rest of Java in this episode. Uh, the last one from Bali was of a beautiful temple. Uh, it's one of the most holiest temples, I believe, in all of Bali. Uh, certainly the water is considered the holiest. And it's the Titra Ampul Temple. And it's a really cool place because you sort of rock up and um, you walk in through the gates. Uh, it's quite a busy place. There's always, you know, a few hundred people around. And um, when you get to the main sort of area, there's all these fountains. And I believe the idea is that the, the holy will go along the fountains, you know, say a prayer and sort of, you know, cleanse themselves uh, in this holy this holy water. So a lot of the people, probably, I don't know, maybe 60 to 70 percent, uh, are actually, you know, Balinese Hindus who are doing this and probably <laughs> about the other 30% of people during the day are tourists. So you will see a lot of uh, European, Australian, American tourists doing this as well. Um, but it is obviously a traditional uh, Balinese Hindu uh, sort of ritual. So, of course, Bali is um, a majority Hindu island. So there are six religions that are officially recognized in Indonesia. So there's Hinduism, which is mostly on the island of Bali. And I believe it's very similar to the Hinduism that you'd find in India. But uh, I think I understand with Balinese Hinduism, they do have some of their own sort of rituals and beliefs and stuff like that, which might be a little bit different. Uh, Islam, of course, is the majority religion. I think something like 87% of people in Indonesia are Muslims. Uh, the other four religions that are recognized officially are Protestants, uh, Catholics, Buddhists, and Confucianism. Confucianism, that's hard to say. So Bali being a, a Hindu island, you know, there's so many beautiful temples everywhere. You'll see all the Hindu gods, you know, Ganesh. Um, uh, I can't remember all the rest of them now, but there's all these, te- you know, beautiful statues everywhere. Like you come up to a roundabout and there'll be this, like a massive statue of one of the gods on the roundabout. Um, literally every little village has their own little temple. Uh, you, you literally drive past hundreds and hundreds of temples when you drive around Bali. They're just everywhere. People make offerings in the street all the time. So they'll have these little um, sort of bamboo, I think they are, kind of little 
trays and they put flowers and sweets and incense in them. So you'd be walking along the road all the time and they'll be at the side of the road. Uh, people also uh, put them in the front of their taxis. Uh, so it's a really amazing different place to visit Bali. If you've never been to somewhere like that, um, it's, it's a really fascinating place to see all the traditional customs of, of the people who live there. Listening to Matt Loves Cameras. So from Ubud, of course, we flew to Java. So after six nights in beautiful Ubud, where I only took a handful of uh, film photos, we went back to Denpasa Airport in the south of Bali and we flew one and a half hours to Java. Now, in the airport, uh, I actually got stuck in the bookstore, which is something I quite often do. And I picked up a little book I'd like to tell you about. So the book is called The Art of the Good Life by Rolf Dobelli. Um, I believe he's uh, Swiss and it was originally written in German and uh, translated into English. Uh, but I was reading this in the plane and honestly, a couple of these small chapters, uh, it, it's sort of uh, down into sort of short chapters around a sort of different topic or different area. Uh, it's basically how to live a good life and, and be happy and content. And the first chapter blew my mind uh, it was really, really, I, I thought it was fascinating. Um, but I'm going to actually read two passages out of the book towards the end of the podcast um, because I think it's that good. Uh, it's actually one of them is directly about photography and one of them is indirectly about photography, I guess. So when we arrived in Java, we had a two-hour trip up to Borobudur and we stayed at a beautiful little sort of set of villas surrounded by these beautiful green rice fields. Uh, which apparently uh, we were ta- talking to the driver and I said, I said, oh, what kind of, you know, tourists and that stay there? And he said, oh, usually Australians, Americans, uh, you know, Canadians, Europeans. And I said, oh, Asian visitors don't uh, usually stay at your place. And he said, no, like the, there's no allure to Asian people of staying amongst rice fields. It's, it's so commonplace. Why would they want to come and stay near rice fields? But Western tourists <laughs> love to be surrounded by rice fields. So there you go. Um, but it was a beautiful uh, little set of villas. And um, what, the first photo I'll talk about here. I still had the role of Cine Still 800 in the camera and I woke up one morning and it was just completely kind of clouded and misted over. It was very, very warm conditions, uh, but still there was this kind of thick layer of mist or, or something clouding over the sun. So uh, the first photo is this photo of the rice fields and you can't really see much. They're sort of silhouetted and you can see the very strong sun Uh, up in the top left of the corner sort of thing. The next three photos were taken when we did our sunset tour of Borobudur, the 9th century Buddhist temple, which is an absolutely amazing feat of construction. Uh, It's just an incredible kind of place, and uh, it's amazing that they built this over a 1,000 years ago. Uh, It took about 80 years to construct, uh, and it's quite interesting. Um, I think I might have told you guys this in episode 9, but pretty much by the time they finished construction 80 years later the local people had kind of moved on from Buddhism. It wasn't really the the religion in vogue anymore. So they just finished this massive temple and everyone had moved on to other religions. So the three photos I've got here, uh, the first one was taken with the Fujifilm Class S and Cine Still. 
It's an image of one of the uncovered Buddhas. So around the top part of the monument at Borobudur, the, be- the beautiful temple, you've got to walk up all these steps and around the, the top sort of levels, there are these bell-shaped um, sort of things that are called stupas. They're sort of made out of the stone and they're sort of like bells with all these little holes in them, like lattice holes. And if you look through, you can actually see there's a, there's a statue of Buddha in each one. Now, there's actually two of these stupas where the, the kind of the lids come off, I guess you could say. Uh, there was a terrorist incident there in 1985, and some of these stupas were damaged. So there are now two stupas uh, which don't have the top part, which means basically that you can see uh, a picture of Buddha. Uh, we can see the, sorry, you can see the statue of Buddha uh, without having to look in inside one of these kind of concrete stupas. So the image I've got here is of the first two images uh, of one of the Buddha statues that doesn't have the top part of the stupa on. So you can see uh, Buddha there from two different angles, uh, sort of praying. And in the background is the beautiful sort of Javanese hills. Now, the first one I took with uh, Fujifilm Class S and Cine Still, I really like the colors on this. Uh, as to be expected in the, in the daylight, there's a bit of a blue tinge uh, to the photos. Um, but you can sort of see some nice pinky t- tones there in the clouds. And I really quite like that image. The next one down, which was taken with the Olympus LT1 and Kodak Gold, that's got a much more magenta sort of feel to it, a more yellowy magenta feel. Uh, I haven't corrected either of these uh, in Lightroom. I've just sort of scanned them on my default scanning settings. But you can sort of see the, uh, the sort of difference there between the two film stocks and the two cameras. Um, probably the image there at Barbador, you probably wouldn't be able to tell which one was the Class S and which one was the LT1. Uh, if you go up to the ones that I took at Uber, though, um, I think you can actually notice the difference between the Class S and the LT1 in those photos. In that better light, the Class S seems to have sharper kind of image all across the frame whereas the LT1 in some of the background portions of the frame in the LT1 it just doesn't look anywhere near as sharp or as much detail so I think the class S you you can tell in the image of Ubud which is which but looking at these two photos uh, of Buddha at Borobudur uh, I don't think I'd be able to tell which camera was which um, by looking at those photos alone. Now, the third image in the show notes from Borobudur is, again, taken with the LT1. And this is an image of quite a few of the stupas. So this is what the stupas are supposed to look like. Buddha is not supposed to be picking out. He's supposed to be inside one of these stupas. Well, the 72 of them all up. And so there's an image here of one, two, three, four, five, six. It's probably about eight or nine stupas. Uh, I quite like this image. It's not brilliantly composed, but I think it's okay. And there's a little bird in the sky just to the top right, uh, which I like as well. So there's a couple of funny things that happened at Borobudur. So we actually had a tour guide and um, when we were just about to start the ascent, going up all those stone steps up to the top, there's actually a local uh, salesperson there, a sales guy, you know, and he had all the souvenirs and he wanted us to buy these um, statues of Buddha and some of the Hindu gods. Uh, they were made in volcanic stone, black volcanic stone. And I actually bought one of these in 2016 when I come over by myself. Um, But he was trying to sell, you know, these statues. And his name was Johan. 
and he was a local Indonesian guy and he was really like, oh, please, please, can you buy it? Please, please. And we're like, oh, no, thanks, no, thanks. So we went up to uh, Borobudur, up all the steps, saw the beautiful sunset. And when we come back down about an hour and a half later, it was pitch black dark and there was no one around. And we're walking along, we had these little torches and all of a sudden out of nowhere appears Johan. Johan had been waiting for an hour and a half for us to come back down <laughs> from the temple. Now, there was not many people here at all. Um, just after we went up, everyone else had to leave. And uh, so we were at the top of this uh, monument by ourselves, pretty much. There was one other Indonesian photographer up there, and that was it, just us and the security guards. So when we come back down, Johan was um, putting the hard sell on us to try. He really, really wanted to sail. And uh, so he had these statues. So he had one of uh, Ganesh, the, the elephant Hindu god. He had a couple of different ones of Buddha. And what else did he have? He had another one. I can't remember what it was now. And... Um, he just wouldn't go away and you know he was going on about how he needed the sale to to feed his family and all this and of course as soon as people start saying that whether it's true or not you you feel a bit like oh man i i should buy something so i said yeah i'll have one of the uh the buddha heads i've got a buddha in a like a stupa which opens up and you can see buddha underneath that i got that a few years ago when i was in indonesia but there was a close-up you know like of a buddha head and i thought yeah that looks pretty cool so I said it to Johan, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll buy a, a Buddha head. So he had all these wrapped up in this newspaper and uh, he puts them all down on the ground for us and it's pitch black dark, but luckily we had these torches with us. So us and the kids were shining the torches on all these little statues and there's one of Ganesh the elephant, uh, the Hindu god. There's a close-up of Buddha's head. There's the stupa with Buddha inside. There was another one, I can't remember what it was. And uh, as soon as I said that I'd have one, of course, old Johan starts the upsell and starts giving us all these preferential prices uh, for all of them. So in the end, he, you know, he said we come to fifteen Australian dollars. You know, what's at about twelve US dollars for four of these stone statues? They're quite nicely carved, you know, in this black volcanic sort of rock. And uh, so I was like, okay, okay. So we actually gave him sixteen Australian dollars in the end, and he was very thankful, very very happy. Um, I only really wanted one, uh, but all of a sudden now I. I had four big hunks of stone to carry around in my backpack. Um, <laughs> so more weight. Um, but still, I think we made Johan happy, which was a good thing. And to be fair, the guy had been waiting an hour and a half for us to come back down that monument. So uh, I think he deserves a sale. Check out the show notes at mattlovescameras.com. If you're on Instagram, come say hi at Matt Loves Cameras. Or if you fancy getting in touch, drop us a line at mattlovescameras at gmail.com. So in episode nine, I told you guys how we were really tired. We had dinner at the restaurant at Borobudur Monument. Uh, it was a very average dinner. It was terrible. It was cold and not very nice. Rice and chicken, stuff like that. And my wife wasn't feeling well, and we, we called for a taxi. And all of a sudden, Mehdi, the owner of the guest houses, turned up in his shiny red car and took us home. And uh, he was a really nice guy. And I forgot to tell you this bit of the story. So on the way home, uh, I said he said, oh, do you want any dinner? And we said, oh, no, we've just had some dinner. Um, oh, but my wife isn't feeling very well anyway. And he said, oh, uh, you know, she got an upset tummy. And we said, yeah. 
And he said, oh, okay, well, when we get back to the guest houses, I'll get one of my chefs to do up a traditional uh, remedy that will make her feel better. I could see my wife kind of panicking in the back seat, but when we got back after about 10 minutes, we were just getting the kids ready for bed and they came over with this um, little bowl full of this stuff. I think it was like a yellowy liquid. We couldn't quite see. It was pretty dark and it smelled very, I don't know, a lot of herbs and stuff in it. Uh, Maybe there was turmeric in there. I'm not sure. And she smelled it and she went to me, oh God, I'm not drinking this. And I said, oh, go on, go on, just drink it. It'll make you feel better. Uh, and so she downed it and then she almost uh, yacked. That's, uh, that's English, uh, English slang for vomited. Uh, and so she went into her little um, villa because her and my son were sharing a villa and me and my daughter were sharing one. So we said goodnight and they went to the villa. I put my phone on charge when I went into our little villa and about 15, 20 minutes later, I checked it to see if it was charging. And there was a text from my son's iPad. Dad, dad, come quick. Mum's spewing in the toilet. Uh, so the <laughs> my wife had gone into the villa. And after about a minute, she felt so sick from drinking this herbal remedy. Uh, she was uh, visiting the, the toilet and trying to be sick. I think she actually kept it down. And uh, funnily enough, the next morning, she felt a little bit better. So the next morning, we got on the little horse cart thingy and we did our tour of the local villages, which was was really cool. Um, so the next one, two, three, four, five, sorry, I'm counting here, six. The next six photos were from one of my highlights of the little tour. In fact, one of my highlights of the trip uh, was Borobudur Market in the town of Borobudur in Indonesia. Now, I've been to Borobudur in 2016 uh, to go to the temple and I'd actually walked past the market and I didn't even realize it was the market. It was just like a row of shops. That's what I thought it was. But you sort of go in um, a couple one of the entranceways and you're in this sort of un- undercover market with all this amazing stuff and the most beautiful, uh, amazing light. So um, I actually got lost in here for about 15 minutes. Uh, I say I got lost, but I didn't really get lost. I was actually just trying to take photos. And the family were a bit like, Dad, come on, hurry up. But, you know, when you've got good lights and you've got interesting subjects, uh, you can sort of, you know, risk the fact the family might get a bit cranky with you for taking so long. Uh, so I started off in here shooting, uh, finishing off the rest of the 800T film, The Cine Still. So the first shot is just some sort of wares of the market. There's some what look like spring onions and some bagged goods and some garlic there in the background. Uh, I quite like this shot. Um, it's not the most amazing shot in the world, but I, I do like it. It's, it's sort of showing some of the market produce. Now, the next shot is of these beautiful, beautiful flower petals. Uh, I didn't see many flowers growing in Indonesia. I saw plenty of, oh man, chilies, uh, mangosteens, pawpaws, uh, just every kind of fruit and vegetable, but I didn't see many flowers. But in the market, there were these beautiful pink and white flowers in baskets. So this was one of the first shots I took after I finished the Sydney Still and I'd loaded the Superior 1600. So these beautiful pink and white flowers. The next two images taken in the market with the Superior 1600 film are excellent. That's a really bad pun because they both feature eggs. So the first one has these beautiful speckled eggs. They're pretty small, like they're probably... 
I don't know, a third of the size of normal eggs. Uh, the tiny, I guess if you, you know those eggs you get at Easter, the chocolate eggs, um, they're kind of about that size, but these are real bird's eggs. Uh, I don't know what kind of eggs they are. Maybe quail, pigeon, no idea. But there was hundreds of these little eggs stacked up with their beautiful speckly design. I, I took a photo of them. And the next ones are just chicken eggs. Well, I think they're chicken eggs anyway. They certainly, they look (laughs) the same size as chicken eggs. So I think that's a fair thing to say. Now, as I was taking these photos of all the random things in the market, uh, a lot of the ladies who who worked in the market uh, thought it was hilarious that this white dude with these cameras was walking around taking photos of of stuff. Uh, They're very friendly and they're very curious, wondering what I was doing. And the next photo is of four ladies. So the lady on the far left in the sort of red, uh, she come out and was sort of trying to talk to me in Indonesian, uh, but I don't speak Indonesian. She doesn't speak English. And I took a photo of her by herself. But then later on, when I walked back, I saw her with her family or friends, uh, this little girl. And so they're having their lunch there. And I said, oh, can I take a photo? Sort of pointing to my camera and pointing to them. And they said, yes. Uh, so I took a little photo of them having their little their little lunch there while they were in the market. The next photo is of this lovely lady uh, who sold chilies. So I just love the colours in this photo. And uh, you've got the the reds and the oranges and the greens and the chilies in the foreground. This nice lady was wearing this beautiful blue top and green sleeves. Uh, so I really like the colours in this photo. Uh, in fact, it's one of my favourites and uh, of the ones I took in Indonesia. Hello, my friends. So I released this episode last night. It's Matt here talking to you from the future. I released this episode last night and about 100 people have downloaded it already. But I just realized that I forgot to put a vital bit of the story in the first uh, go of the uh, episode 11 of this podcast. So here is the other bit I wanted to tell you. So after our tour of the uh, the villages and the market, we headed back to our beautiful little villas in the rice fields and uh, they made us lunch. We had beautiful chicken satay and nasi goreng and all that. And then I went and settled up the bill. Uh, we had, you know, uh, we stayed there for two nights and we had all food there and everything. So I settled up the bill with the people. I think it was only, I think it was like just over 300 Australian dollars. And we had like two rooms for two nights and we had like loads of meals and stuff. Uh, so it was pretty, pretty well priced really. It was a, it was a nice place. Uh, anyway, um, just when we were checking out, they said, oh, you know, they were saying really nice things like we hope you have the rest of your nice holiday and all that kind of stuff, which is really lovely. And then they said at the end, oh, and we have two gifts for you. And I was like, oh, cool. And then from under the counter, they bring out these little things wrapped in newspaper. (laughs) And they put them in each of my hands, these heavy items wrapped in newspaper. So I had one in each hand. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. And they're like, oh, thank you, thank you. And I, I unwrapped one and I knew immediately from the weight what it was. When we checked out, we got two more of these stone Buddha heads. So we now have six pieces of black volcanic rock in our luggage after buying four from Johan. And then on checkout, we got two complimentary Buddha stone heads. And now the last photo I've got to talk about, I actually had about... um. 
I had about 10 photos for each roll of film shortlisted uh, initially for this episode. But then I realized, you know, I'm, I don't want to describe 30 photos to you guys. That's a bit boring. So I, I picked and chose which ones I wanted. Uh, so I've only got about 12 or 13 photos to talk through. And this is the last one. So this is one when we went to Jogjakarta. Uh, I walked around at night with my Superior 1600, and this is just a street scene in Jogjakarta, just off the Malyabara, which is one of the famous uh, shopping streets. I don't think it's a particularly amazing uh, photo or scene, but there's some nice colours in there. Uh, the grain looks pretty good because it's Superior 1600. I did actually walk around with the, the Superior 1600 uh, around Jogjakarta, and I took quite a few photos. I wasn't really happy with a lot of them. I couldn't, I don't know, I couldn't seem to get in the groove. Similar to when I was in Ubered, you know, I had the Asini still 800 in my camera at night. I, in Jogjakarta, I had the Superior 1600 in my camera. I was walking around trying to make some kind of cool shot happen. And uh, I did take some okay shots. But overall, I really feel with the Superior 1600, I feel like I kind of wasted half the role in Jogjakarta just taking pictures for the sake of taking pictures, hoping that'd be really cool. And, you know, they're okay. But um, I think I've really got to uh, think about my nighttime street photography and um, try and take some, some better images in the future. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Yay! So this was actually the first time I've shot film and digital alongside each other uh, to any sort of large extent. Uh, back in the old days, I used to shoot film uh, and I've actually just started a uh, Instagram account, Matt Loves India, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So when I went through India in 1998, I shot uh, uh, slides, Kodak color transparency film on two entry-level Canon EOS 500N cameras. So I used to shoot all film. Then when digital came in, I pretty much moved to digital. Uh, And then this is the first time I've really taken a real good mix of film and digital cameras and instant cameras as well on holidays. Um, To be honest, I didn't really feel like I had the balance right. So of course, you know from episode nine that I took 10 cameras along on a holiday. Uh, I mainly shot my Fujifilm X100F, my Fujifilm X-T3 on the digital side, and on the film side, I mainly shot my Polaroid, my Fujifilm Class S, and the Olympus LT1, and also some Instax. Uh, I do feel like that is too many cameras. You're kind of always getting cameras in and out of your bag, and so next time, I'm really kind of puzzled about what I need to do next time. I think I definitely need to leave some cameras behind, maybe take five or six cameras max next time. But I'm kind of thinking, you know, do I mix it up completely? Do I just go back to my combination of two digital cameras? Um, Leave the X100F behind at home. That's a digital camera where it's got a fixed lens. So do I just take two uh, Fujifilm digital cameras, an X-T2 and X-T3 and a couple of lenses? And then do I just take another system? Uh, Do I take like a little SLR, a little film SLR? Do I take an OM-10? I'm actually testing an Olympus OM-10 at the moment. It's quite lightweight. It's quite cool. Do I just need something like that with a couple of lenses in my bag? Uh, I love instant photography. I'm sure you guys know how much I love instant photography. 
but do I need to take an instant camera with me if I go on a travel trip? Should I just try and keep it simpler and have the, a couple of digital cameras and a couple of film cameras? It's, it's a question I don't really know the answer to yet, but I am looking at options um, and going to try and keep it as simple as possible next time I travel because we are going for longer. Uh, we're going for about four weeks when we go to Europe and um, there'll be a lot of different shooting conditions and situations uh, and I really don't know what to do. As I said in episode nine, the difficulty for me is when I mix formats. So if I'm taking digital, I know exactly what to take. If I'm taking film, I think I know what to take. But because I had digital and film and instant, you just end up with so much gear and that's something I'm really keen to avoid. Now, talking about digital photography, I know this is an analog photography podcast, but I actually did recently write an article for Digital Photography School. Uh, So the article is called The Best Fujifilm X Travel Kits for Photography. So ironically, even though I'm talking to you about, um, I'm not sure on what to take on holidays, um, I've actually written an article for Digital Photography School about the best Fujifilm X series kits for travel photography. So check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and certainly, like I said, if I was just taking digital, I know what I'd take. But when I'm mixing it up with film, that's when it gets tricky. I'll also put a link into um, my Matt Loves India Instagram in the show notes. And I think I also mentioned that uh, World Nomads, which are a big travel account, they actually featured an image uh, so uh, of mine. I think it was the only image, the only digital image that I featured on my Matt Loves Instagram uh, while on holiday, and they featured that one. So I'll put a link to that so you can see the difference uh, between the film and the digital. So just to finish off the show, I'm going to read you a couple of passages from this book I was talking about. I picked this up at uh, Bali Airport outbound to uh, to Java. It's called The Art of the Good Life by Rolf DeBelli. Uh, so I'll put a link in the, the show notes to this on Amazon. So the book is divided into chapters on all little subjects, uh, how you can sort of live a better life with these simple kind of concepts. And one of them is called, uh, chapter five is called Counterproductivity, Why Time Savers Are Often Time Wasters. Now listen to this. Does this resonate with you? Do you remember when digital cameras came on the market? Liberation. At least that's how it felt. No more expensive film. No more waiting for it to be developed. No more unflattering photographs. You can easily take a dozen more. And then the author goes on to say how this is actually completely counterproductive because we're now sitting on a mountain of... Mountain? What the hell did I say like that for? We're now sitting on a mountain of photo and videos, 99% of which we never use, we never print. Uh, So how amazing is is that it's completely true and I've heard other podcasters I think like Mike Gutterman's talking about this recently and other podcasters talk about this as well I think uh, Ted Vieira was also recently talking about printing your work so that's so true you know these digital cameras were meant to be these amazing time savers and really uh, you know what I, I I don't even like to shoot raw anymore sometimes when I'm shooting uh, you know if I'm just shooting images of the family I don't shoot raw I don't want all these 50 megabyte files cluttering up my camera my hard drive it's just all too much and um, yeah you just spend so much time when you shoot digital you know looking through the images it's such a chore and that's what I really don't like about digital anymore which is probably why I'm attracted to film so much 
So I thought that was uh, a really, really interesting uh, example that he's, he's put in this book. Now, chapter one is the one that I read on the book. I started off with chapter one. Uh, and it's called Mental Accounting, How to Turn a Loss into a Win. So he's basically talking about speeding fines and parking fines. And the way he gets around being angry about speeding fines and parking fines, the author, is he puts money in a fund each year and he basically gives it to charity and good causes. Uh, so he puts you know, a proportion of his income into this little fund in his bank account. And if he ever gets a fine, he basically pays the fine out of this fund. So it's not really, in his mind, it's mental accounting. It's not really uh, money he's lost because he was already going to give it away anyway. So uh, that's an amazing way to look at things. Uh, I told my wife that and she thought it was completely ridiculous, but I, I think it's <laughs> I think it's completely genius. I, I haven't implemented it yet, but I think it is genius. Now, towards the end of this chapter, he also gives another example of mental accounting. He's talking about when he, uh, it was a time in his life when he sort of uh, was trying to rediscover religion and God and all that kind of stuff. And he actually went to live in a monastery for a while. And at the monastery, at the beginning of each meal, they served the cutlery in a small black casket about eight inches long. So you opened up this casket uh, when you're at the monastery and you took the knife and fork out of uh, the casket to eat your meal every day. And so listen to this. The message, you're basically already dead and everything that follows is a gift. Wow, that just floored me. You're, you're basically already dead and everything that follows is a gift. That is amazing. That really made me think, wow, you know, if, if you had that attitude in life, you know, what would you do differently? You know, is there some of that film in that fridge that you've been saving up for a special occasion? You should get out there and shoot it, right? Every day is indeed a gift. And uh, yeah, I think that's something we can easily lose sight of. But, you know, uh, get out there, shoot that film, use your cameras, have fun. And I think that really is uh, a, a message uh, that we should uh, think of, think about more. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. That's it for episode 11 of Matt Loves Cameras. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'll be back very soon in episode 12 with a review of the iconic Polaroid SX70 camera. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Check the show notes for the link.